Good morning, everyone. My name's Peter. I'm a pastoral apprentice over at the NDG community. Um, I've been here a couple times, but it's just very good, um, good to be with you all this morning. Merry Christmas. Um, so today, the way, well, I guess the way I want to start is um, we're, we're, we're in our Christmas uh, season now, and uh, that got me thinking about uh, Christmas songs, and not all of them are about Christmas. Isn't that true? Um, one of them, which has to be probably the, the creepiest songs to me, is Santa Claus is Coming to Town. I don't, does, raise your hand. Is that like your least favorite or creepiest song? It, it goes like this. Um, Santa is coming to town. You better not pout. You better not cry. I'm telling you why. I'm making it sound a little creepy, right? He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty, who's nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. Is that good news? I don't know. I, that, and because there's this guy who's judging you and watching you, and based on your outward conduct, he's going to either guilt you or give you presents. That's, that's, our, uh, that, that's not the, the, the Christian Christmas tradition I know, but I think we're all familiar with uh, this kind of thing. Uh, there's this pressure to be nice. There's this motivation by fear and a re- material reward. And most people think Christianity is this thing about being nice in Christianity. Oh, that's for nice people. I'm not nice. You should hear my story. Um, that's not for me. Or, on the other hand, they go, ew, Christianity. That's those people that think they're on the nice list. They're pretty messed up. But when we come to the story of Jesus, uh, we just read the first few words of the New Testament. What we see in the lineage of Jesus is that there is a list of people in his family tree that are far from perfect. And isn't that the good news of Christmas? That God would send Jesus for people who are not perfect. And this series for our Advent is about God is for the disqualified. And I hope you go away today feeling encouraged as well as um, being able to give comfort and encouragement to those around you. So we often believe that our actions are too bad, too great for God to forgive. And then there's the added shame of, okay, yeah, God can forgive me, but uh, he can't really use me. God doesn't really like me that much. I know know some missionary stories, and those people, those were nice people. (laughs) And God did great things with them, but he can't do that with me. Well, the first story that we're going to look at is Tamar, and the second is the story of David and Bathsheba, also known as the wife of Uriah. So Tamar and David did, uh, sexually did what they wanted to accomplish what they wanted. Their desires were against what God had for them, but Jesus and God, they're, they're not embarrassed 
to have these names in the family tree. So Advent is this time that we remember Christ coming to the world. It's this time we look back at Christ who has come, but we also look forward to Christ who will come again. And it's this season that we want to, um, we're, we're like excited for presents, we're excited to see our families and have dinners, and what we want is this anticipation. We want to grow in, oh, I just can't wait. I can't wait for Christmas Day when I get to see my family, my friends. But it's also a time for us that we can't wait for Jesus. And this is for now and today and in the future. Jesus is coming to town. Jesus has come to the world. So we want to be shaped by this season and God's time and the anticipation of the arrival of God in our lives and his ultimate return. This brings hope for today. So, we often read the Bible, and we think it's um, just like this mess that God can't put back together. And today is one of those days, folks. We're, we're diving into a mess. And in the messy lives of Tamar and uh, the mess of Bathsheba and David, he's not only there, but he wants to use it for his purposes. And God isn't done. He's not done with you and with me. He's making something happen now, too. So we can look back and see how God's promises and provision are coming to, um, uh, to the birth of Jesus, and they move forward into unlikely people that Jesus selects in his ministry all the way to today. So no matter what's happened or happening in your life, I want you to invite God into your mess because he wants to use it. He's not ashamed of it. And I think after today, after we look at these messy stories, I hope you, you know that God's not afraid of messes. So we just read an incredibly boring passage of names that some of us have a hard time even saying, let alone knowing who they are. Am I right? Yes. Uh, genealogy, well, uh, we use that word for this passage, but uh, this is a list of names, um, and it's how the New Testament starts, and you're like, is, uh, that didn't really grab my attention there. Um, well, uh, imagine you were part of a family that knew every single one of those names, and you'd be like, oh, he picked that person, that person, I know that person, he didn't say this person, that's interesting. But to us, if we don't know any of these names, it can seem a little irrelevant. But we do know what it means to have someone's name. Um, my, my last name is Smith. And, you know, like a blacksmith makes things from metal. So back in the day, if you say, hi, I'm Peter Smith, you would go, ah, you make things, don't you? And you'd go like, yeah, I do. How do you know? You know, well, your last name's Smith. That means something. And then bring it back to a small town where maybe um, the Smiths are like dairy farmers. And my grandfather was a dairy farmer, my father's a dairy farmer, and I will be a dairy farmer. And you go, up, oh, Peter Smith, you know a lot about cows and dairy, don't you? And I go, yep, that's right, that's my pa. 
um, we would just connect it immediately. Peter is connected to the dairy farm, or Peter's connected to making things. So we start to see these names as meaning more than just a name. Now, what if the names were something like, uh, th this still works in the city, uh, what if we say, ah, hi, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're talking to each other after, and someone, someone says, hi, my name's Stephen Ford. You go, Ford? You mean like the car maker, Ford? And he goes, well, yeah, actually I am related. You go, dude, you must be rich. <laughs> and he'd go, yeah, yeah, I am kind of extremely wealthy. <laughs> you know, it would, it would connect right away. Or uh, better yet, he says, well, for me, better yet, he says, oh, no, 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 uh, my grandpa is actually Harrison Ford. You'd be like, oh, no way, Han Solo. You must be good at acting. And he's like, well, yeah, it is in the, is it in, it's in the family. You know, that would start to make sense. This would start to connect. And that's all I'm saying is when we read these names, to, um, they should start bringing meaning to us. And they should bring even more meaning and significant impact if it has to do with a king. Raise your hand if you, you love watching The Crown. Uh, yes, okay, I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, and um, the thing about being born into a royal family is you instantly default have this power, authority, inheritance, and anything you do is connected to the crown. So the family has to be very careful. Hey, you can do this, you can't do that because that has, you can't say this because that has political implications because it's connected to the crown, something bigger than you and me. And only a few people can have that. You, you either have it or you don't. You're just born into it or you're not born into it. So Jesus is being identified as a king in this genealogy. And not only that, Matthew, who wrote this passage, is saying he's king, he's king, he's king. He's also saying he's tied to promises of God that have been throughout the Bible. And this is the fun part about um, the Christmas um, season is we really get to bring the whole of the Bible together. And we have to because um, it's this whole story, it's this culminating point of God's promises um, for his people. So the first one that stands out would be Abraham. I think for a lot of you, that's a common name. Um, God made a promise to Abraham and said, I will make you into an awesome big family. I promise to be your God forever. I'll be faithful to you. And I'm going to uh, give you so many children. It's like the sand on the sea shore. You just can't count how many. And this family is going to bless the world because my blessing is on them. So that's connected. It's like all hyperlinked. Like this is a Wikipedia page where you'd like just keep clicking links and be like, oh, no way, no way. Uh, the, the next is King David. And there is a second promise that came through David. This is years later, tick, 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 down to David. The promise was, um, God said, you know what, David, I am going to promise to never leave your family and your line will never be broken as king. And I will bring out a king through your family line. And he will gather my scattered people. And he will set up a nation that will never 
um, never perish. So we have that promise coming through. And so we start to see a larger picture of Jesus is coming to town, but it's connected to a lot more. The last is that, uh, or, or another, another point is that this list is, is not exhaustive, but it's making a point in, um, if you're uh, someone who likes to count, take numbers, there's 14 names, 14 names, and then another 14 names. And Matthew, again, is making a point poetically of being like, Jesus is perfect, and he's perfectly coming to town, and he's perfectly king of all of us. So we're going to look at two of these names. Again, uh, they are Tamar to start with. And then the next is um, David and Bathsheba. And I just said that Jesus is perfectly coming to town. He's perfectly king. But the names on this list are not perfect. And so we're going to jump into these stories. But I want to have a disclaimer that for some of you, this might be new to uh, open up the Old Testament. It's messy. And one of the great things about the Bible is that it's messy because your life and my life are human. And there's a lot of mess in our lives. There's a lot of mess around us. And isn't it great that the Bible stays messy so that God can speak through it? So uh, for some of you, this might sound like confusing when I I start to explain some things about what's going on, but what I'm going to try to do is just say it as clearly and plainly as I can, and then we'll try to grapple with it and see why this is connected to Jesus and his lineage. So I actually like the Old Testament a lot, so I hopefully will um, uh, bring some of that joy to you, but it's okay if it sounds a little bit complex. Um, uh, so, we are backing up to the Old Testament, and that will be in Genesis 38. You're welcome to open your Bibles there with me. I actually encourage you, um, because I'm going to abbreviate some things, but um, as I sort of plainly state what's going on, if you read the Bible for yourself, you'll also be amazed to see that the Bible plainly states it as it is, and you go, wow, he just said it straight like that. Um, But it doesn't always tie up everything that we're looking for. It's making a point. And so our job as readers is to go, okay, Bible, what are you saying on your terms? Let me hear from you. Instead of going um, like an eight ball, going, okay, tell me what I want to know, and then opening it up and going, uh, ooh, that was not what I was looking for. Um, That's us reading into the text. We want the Bible to read us. So, Genesis 38, um, to uh, tell you where we are in the the history of this story, we are where Judah is. Now, where did Judah come from? Let's go back. Abraham, Abraham had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac was a miracle child because his parents were really old. Abraham and Sarah were very old. Isaac has a son named Jacob. Now, Jacob, you might have heard of. He is the one that wrestled with God. And God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a new name, Israel. That name should stick out to you. Israel is his name. So Jacob, Israel. Israel has um, 
many sons. One of those sons is Judah. So all of these sons became the tribes of Israel. So that makes sense, right? The, the people groups of Israel, Jacob. But um, so, so this is where we're picking up the story, Judah. Now Judah moved out and uh, went to Canaan and took a wife in Canaan, a Canaanite woman. And for those who grew up listening to the Bible, you're like, ooh, that's not a good idea. Anyway, he did it. And uh, he had three sons. The first son married Tamar. That's the name we're looking for, Tamar. So Tamar's married to the first son of Judah. And this is where the Bible just kind of says it straight and doesn't give us everything we want to know. Tamar's husband does wicked before the Lord, and the Lord ends his life. <laughs> That's what we're left with. So, what does that mean? Well, one thing that is true of all of us is that the Lord holds our life in his hands. And we can respond one or two ways. We can go, that is terrible. I don't want the Lord in my life at all. I'm going to run away from him and do whatever I want. Well, the fact is that in God's wisdom, he still holds your, your life in his hands, and he can take it at any moment. And that's not to scare you in a way of random chaos, but it's true that you do not determine your own destiny to the point of when you live and when you die. Um, I think everyone here would know that you didn't get to choose when you were born. <laughs> That's a, a starting point for you to think about. Anyway, so the Bible just tells us he did wicked before the Lord. And in God's um, wisdom, he said, this man in his free will decided to do wicked. Wicked to the point where I've decided to do justice. And I think a lot of us can resonate with that at least. We don't get all the details and go, I want to know everything that he did so I can decide when God takes this man's life or not. Well, the fact is we don't know. So, we still want justice. Well, God took his life. But what does that do to Tamar? Tamar is a woman. And in the context of uh, this time, that would leave her destitute. She has no children to take care of her. And her last name is the wrong last name. So she has to stay in this family. So what was the Jewish custom at the time was, well, to protect the woman and to protect the inheritance of this family and of her husband is to marry her to the next brother available. That sounds weird to us but that had some protection for her. Otherwise, she's left out on her own. So she marries the second brother. The second brother doesn't like this. Now, why wouldn't he like this? Because um, if, if she has children, her, the, the first brother's inheritance doesn't go to him. He's like, I, I want all the inheritance. I don't like this legal protection for her because once she has kids, her son will now have an inheritance and a name, and that line will keep going instead of my line. So, in a sinful way, he denied her children. Um, and so, uh, uh, husband number two unjustly 
withholds children from Tamar. And God acts again in justice, and he ends his life. Again, really surprising for some of us in modern-day Montreal, but that's what the story says. So then there's one brother left, and you can see where this is going, right? Well, Judah figures this out, at least some of the story, and goes, I don't want, I think Tamar is cursed, which is just not true. I don't want to give my last son to him, uh, to, to Tamar. So I'm going to come up with a loophole. His loophole is, not, I'm, I'm just going to say, oh, Tamar, wait. He's too young. I'm not going to give you him till he's older. So Tamar waits and waits and waits in injustice. She doesn't get, um, she doesn't get married. And that's unfair, that's unjust. But instead of waiting on the Lord, even though the Lord had acted twice in her life to bring justice, she decides to take things into her own hands. She says, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I know how to preserve this line. I'm going to dress up as a prostitute and stand on the side of the road when Judah comes by. Now that should tell you something about Judah too. Um, Again, the Bible says something straight, but leaves a lot left unsaid. But um, anyway, this is how the story goes. Um, so she dresses up as a prostitute and is on the side of the road. And one more thing about this story that it might sound surprising to you that this is even happening. Well, I've, um, I personally have gotten to travel, and I, I worked for um, a, a Christian uh, nonprofit organization that... Um, rescues children and minors trafficked in brothels and bars uh, in very broken countries. And so I was in this country uh, my first day there, and I was being driven from the airport to my new apartment um, to help work in this project area. I was just admin. I just did paperwork there. But um, as we were driving through uh, the street at night, um, I was just aghast. I was seeing prostitutes dressed up. I've never seen a prostitute dressed up at night and walking around, but there were many. And as I lived in this place, it started to become very normal to see this kind of activity going on. And for my, I grew up in a place where that just wasn't happening. And so maybe for you too, you're like, this doesn't happen. I grew up with cornfields. this can seem surprising, but maybe f- we have to understand that for other people in their context, it's really messy. And that's the story we're entering into. And these people were born into a messy place as well. Does God have things for them too? Does God have compassion? Does God have justice for messy places and people that were born into messy situations? That's when the Old Testament gets really exciting for me. So she's dressed up as a prostitute, and Judah comes by and says, I want that. And he, he solicits uh, Tamar. Tamar stays disguised, and um, uh, Judah pays for his services rendered. And uh, he even gives her uh, a promise to pay. Uh, a, a signet ring, and we'll just say, it's just so obvious that it's his. It says, like, Judah's ring on it. Um, and so they, they break ways. He never thinks anything of it. 
And later, um, Tamar gets pregnant. And through the family, tr you know, uh, the, the, it's not really gossip at this point, it's kind of obvious. He learns that Tamar's pregnant, and he goes, who got you pregnant? I know it's not my son. I'm withholding him from you. You disobeyed the family. You did sin. You did wrong. And so she doesn't come before him in that moment. She sends the ring and goes, the man who owned this ring that says this is Judah's ring on it, he was the one I slept with. And he goes, oh, you are so right. And so there's this redemption moment where Judah says, this woman, he publicly says, this woman is more righteous than I. And we do see some ch behavior change in Judah after this. But Tamar gets pregnant, and she's finally able to have children. And I think for any woman, that's, that's a beautiful moment of finally being able to have children. But man, this is messy. And this is, a, this is a tough sermon to preach. So what do we make of this? What do we make of this first story? So in this messy, unjust situation, Tamar's options were to wait on the Lord and have the Lord act. She decides to act on her own. And we just do not condone having sex with your father-in-law by dressing up as a prostitute as well as what Judah did, act actively engaging in prostitution. These are not good things. And I'm so sorry that this is the Christmas story. It's not the Christmas story that we normally hear, is it? But it's one that we need to hear. Because a lot of people were born into messy situations. And Tamar is someone that we would consider disqualified. Do you know what she did? She dressed up as a prostitute and sat on the road, disqualified. Now, with any situation, God demands repentance. That means I was headed in this direction. I did these actions. I thought these thoughts. I wanted these wants. I'm turning around and headed towards God. And we see a little of that moment with, uh, with Judah, who's going, she is more righteous than I. This is what I have done. This is wrong. So I am granting her all the, um, the glory that she deserves. And then greater yet, Jesus takes this story as his own and says, all the way back then, even, even when Tamar was alive, I was acting and working my promises to culminate to the point of when I would come into this world. So for you, you might feel disqualified, and I want to encourage you that uh, God does not see it that way, and he's not afraid of your mess. I mean, man, I just, I went into great detail today. I didn't have to go in this kind of detail today, but I did it because I want you to know that you are not disqualified. You are not too messy for God. He wants to get to know you. He wants to come into your story. That is the Christmas story, and that should bring us hope. And for a lot of us, we grew up in families or cities that are really messy. This is what God can do. God can enter your story. God can bring about new things. But there's also a point of, um, uh, when I put the whole Bible into tension, um, there are a lot of passage, 
passages on wait for the Lord, wait for his action. And I want to encourage you not to take things into your own hands. So yes, Tamar was redeemed, but yes, she didn't wait for the Lord. She took things into her own hands. And a lot of this Old Testament, we're jumping into it, is there were people before her that made bad choices, and that didn't just affect them. I think a lot of times we think, I can sin and it doesn't affect anyone. Wrong. It affects you, it affects your children, it affects the world you live in. So that's another theme coming out, is sin hurts other people. Sin makes the world messy. Sin makes the world broken. So don't come to the Old Testament and say, oh my goodness, this is wrong. This is wrong. I, this is unjust. I don't like this. Well, the point is, no one likes it. Sin is sin, and it causes evil to flourish. But a lot of us, well, all of us, are born into that. So how do we reconcile that? Well, we, we need someone who can identify with us, and that's coming back to Jesus. Jesus in the genealogy is saying, I'm identifying with Tamar. I'm identifying with even what Judah was born into. I'm taking that. I'm saying, this is where I come from. Okay, story number two. David and Bathsheba. This is in uh, 2 Samuel 11. You're welcome to turn there. I will kind of be looking at... uh, 2 Samuel 11 and chapter 12. This is moving down to uh, verse 6 in Matthew. um, And it says, uh, And Jesse, the father of of King uh, David the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. David, of course, was important to the nation of Israel. He was the one that brought the nation together, ushered in a golden age. He's this great warrior king. Um, and, um, but he also had to repent many times. Uh, and his family, because of what David did, was um, brought calamity on the people of Israel. Yet God also said, I treasure this man. Um, I love his heart of worship. I love his heart of repentance. And that's true repentance that, uh, that he's saying. So this is the story of David and Bathsheba. And how they got together was no secret. It's no secret now. Um, just imagine uh, if your sin was just plainly stated for literally billions of people to read forever. <laughs> Um, It wasn't a secret back then, too. Again, um, if you're uh, into the crown, how do we get all these stories? Well, it's everyone living around them. Their lives are not secret. Neither was David's. And then uh, the other thing we can do uh, when we look at this story is um, that uh, in Matthew it says that uh, it's the wife of Uriah. And if we do some detective work, we realize that David is not Uriah. So something happened. (laughs) That's what we're looking at. And here are the details. So in spite of David's success early in life, 
um, the palace, the power, the success had started to ruin him. And at the time, uh, the custom was for kings to go to war with their, with their people. Um, but he stayed back for the comfort of his palace. And this is a first warning for us that I want to present to you. Um, I don't want you to, I, I invite you to ask your friends. I ask you to invite warnings from your friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, when something appears off. So right from the start, something appears off with David. So in your city groups, whoever you are, when something appears off, ask the person, please. It's for their own good. But you can say it in a loving way. Hey, um, I'm, I don't know what's going on, but this appears this way. Is, is there something else going on? I'm just trying to to clarify for you and for me. This is a good thing to do. But the second warning is that David has silence. There's no one in his life questioning him anymore. So my second warning to you is, do you have people in your life that can question you, that can ask you something appears off? And two groups that came to mind are, you have become too sensitive. Every time someone says something to you, you just get so emotional and hurt, and you don't talk to them anymore. You can become manipulative by how you react. And so people have decided, you are too sensitive. I am going to stop warning you or asking you things. Is that you? And your court, your little kingdom, is silent. And then the other group that I thought of are the people who are up for the argument. All right, present your case, bring it on. I'm pretty good at debate, let's go. But you know what, your friends find that tiring. They can't fight with you for every inch. And so again, your court has become silent. No one talks to you anymore about your sin. No one talks to you anymore about what appears off. These are warnings for us. So David's walking around at evening time, and he sees a hot babe neighbor bathing in front of the window. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the Christmas story, I know. Um, so there, uh, this, uh, this is a tightly packed city. This is a palace. And, um, uh, but, but if you've been to Jerusalem, it's, it's a dense city. Um, and it's sort of like apartment to apartment, um, where the windows are just really close together. And what we find is that um, um, y there's, there's two sides to the story. But when we read this chapter 11, it's all about King David. And at the end of the day, David's the king. David's got the power. David has the agency. David's the one that acts. This is on David. Yet, it's also uh, unclear what was, what was happening on Bathsheba's side. She's clearly in front of the window. And um, um, in a conservative culture, it's like, and especially she lives in prime real estate, it's like there's more than one window she could bathe in. So there's that. 
And all this is happening boldly while Uriah, David's faithful soldier, is at war. So there's a lingering look, a lustful desire, a wicked thought, a word of invitation, and then finally, an actual act. You don't just jump into bed with someone. It's a path. And are you on that path anywhere today? A lingering look, hanging on to that desire. Turn around. Do not go down that path. That's my, uh, that's my word to you today. And the first thing to do is bring it before God. God is the one who sees all and knows all and desires you to not have this happen. He wants to bring you into life. He doesn't want you to continue down a road of destruction. And then the second is bring other people into it. Hey, can you pray for me? I've been struggling with this. Hey, I, I actually sent this text message and I want to bring it to light. Are you anywhere on that path? Turn around right now. Don't go down that path. So David sees, David likes, David wants, and David gets what he wants. The only thing we hear Bathsheba say is after this fact, I'm pregnant. And so David immediately goes into damage control and he devises a mastermind plan to kill Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. So here we have King David. Oh, what a mess. He, he takes what's not his. In the power dynamic going on, you can consider it rape. Um, we, we see murder. We see uh, coveting someone else's wife. These are all deserving of death. And so a prophet, Nathan, comes to David and says this to him in chapter 12. David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb that he had, uh, that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from talking, uh, taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler. Instead, he took the little lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for, one of, uh, for the traveler who had come. David, hearing this, burned with anger against the man and said, Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. So Nathan calls him out on his sin. He later says, the Lord is not going to kill you, but he is going to let this child die. David repents. He says, may it be as the Lord has decided. And um, uh, you can find David's confession of sin 
and asking for God's forgiveness in Psalm 51. This is a mess, guys. And maybe you are reading this story and feeling like, this isn't enough. David should, he deserves more. And I, I think both Nathan, both David, and the Lord agree with you. David deserves more than what happened to him as far as his consequences. But the Lord is also merciful. The Lord is also compassionate. And I think when we read these stories in the Old Testament, we can really struggle with that. We go, I want to decide what to do with these people. But the thing is, we're not God. God is God, and God is the one who is merciful. And sometimes we like that, and sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes we like his justice, and sometimes we don't like his justice. But it's not for us to decide. It's for us to, under, uh, to, to understand that the Lord is the one who is good, merciful, and just. What do we do with this? These are the people in Jesus' genealogy. These are the unqualified. So going back to a list of names, it's, it's like Jesus is saying, I'm with them. He's identifying with this list. He's saying, I'm with them. I'm with them. we might, again, struggle with not everything's reconciled. Okay, Tamar had kids, but what about her messy story? You didn't fix everything perfectly that we know of. Or Beth, David and Bathsheba, you go, well, what about this Uriah guy? Like, he deserves more than this. And the thing is, a lot of things are left undone or left unsaid. Because our life isn't over yet, and the story of the human history isn't over yet. We're right in the middle of it. We were born into it. But God is pointing to his son, Jesus Christ, who has come and who has redeemed this world. He's saying, I'm with them, and on the day I return, when I bring them before God Almighty, I'm going to say, they are with me. I am who qualifies them, not you. I am who qualifies them, not your culture. And that should bring us hope. That should bring hope for you and for me. The Christmas story is about all of us. All of us have stories. And Jesus Christ wants to break into your story today. He wants to come in and redeem it. He wants to give it hope, a hope for now and for the future. Would you pray with me? Jesus Christ, this is your story. Would you help me to understand how you came into this world, how you identify with us? God, you defy me in your categories, or uh, you defy my categories in how to understand what you're doing, but God, you come on your own terms, and I thank you for what you've done. Jesus Christ, King of all kings, you entered into our story, 
and I want to invite you into my story. Would you give me hope, a hope for a future? Would you act now in my life? Lord, I feel disqualified, but now I see how there are people in your family line that had broken lives. Would you take mine as well? Father, I confess there are times when I judge others. I see them as disqualified. Forgive me for judging them. You are the judge, not I. And in turn, would you fill me with your hope of salvation? Would you give me eyes of compassion for other people so that I can carry the Christmas message to others in my life? Would you set up divine appointments this week for me to meet others and to share the good news that you have come to the world and you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.